When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So Vic, do you think you might have ADHD? Well, listeners keep emailing me telling me that they think I do, so probably. Mind you, listeners also email us saying we talk too much about your mum's feet. So what do they know? Yeah, fair enough. I honestly had no idea about the connection between overdrinking and ADHD until we started this podcast. About 40% of people that have had any sort of drinking issues also apparently have ADHD. Whenever we chat to ex-drinkers, this comes up more than you'd believe. If you have ADHD or suspect you might, or just want to learn about this link, then we would encourage you to check out the I Have ADHD podcast. It's the place where adults with ADHD find research-based information, validation and tons of support. This is the best way to feel less alone and hear some of the answers to the questions you've been sitting with for too long. You'll hear detailed descriptions of what it means to have ADHD and enjoy interviews with the foremost experts in the industry so that you don't have to read those ADHD books that are collecting dust on your shelf. Yeah. Listen to the I Have ADHD podcast and learn how ADHD affects every aspect of your life, from the boardroom to the bedroom. In the podcast, you'll also hear about their ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. Focused is made up of three pillars, courses, coaching and community. It is designed to help you build your own self-improvement program and is perfect for the ADHD brain. And you can get $50 off the course just by using the code SOBER, S-O-B-E-R. So if you're tired of feeling stuck and don't know where to start, listen to the I Have ADHD podcast. The kettle's boiled, Vic. Great. Perfect timing. Just a dash of milk for me, please, mate. Here you go. Should we get started then? Have you ever woken up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm never drinking again, and then found yourself waving 50 bucks at a barman by happy hour? Are you wondering why everyone else can stop at one, while you head to a dodgy after-party with a weird bloke called Disco Dave? If so, it might be time to take a deeper look at your relationship with your reliable social crutch, alcohol. On each episode, we'll investigate our own dysfunctional dealings with booze and find out if it's possible to stop this deeply ingrained habit before things get too messy. Yep, we're going to open up a shame shed of humiliating drinking stories to help you understand why waking up from a booze coma each weekend with a kebab sticking out of your top pocket might actually be negatively impacting your health. Hamish and I are here to delve into what it's like being sober, an unwanted warts and all look into why giving up those cheeky pints or putting down those mummy wines will make you feel happier, help your anxiety and mental health and turn you into the most sparkly authentic version of you. Won't that mean I become boring though, Vic? Well, Hamish, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Hamish Adams-Cairns. And this is Sober Awkward. Ah, bonjour, ça va bien? Oui, Victoria, mais, mais pourquoi est-ce qu'on parle français? Parce que c'est la fête de la grande testicule de le monde. Viva la France! Le grand, big, the big testicle festival of the world? <laughs> oh no, is that what I said? <laughs> <laughs> the big festival of the testicles? <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe we should go back to English before I offend anyone, Hamish. What was that meant to be about? I was just going to introduce it in French. It was about the big booze festival of the world. But have I ah. festival, not testicule? <laughs> 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 That's funny. Oh, how are you anyway? I'm all right. We had a sort of kid swap this week, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did have a kid swap. I was going to ask you about that. Do we need to delve into it? I feel like we do. There's one story in particular that I desperately want to share with you. Vic and John want to go to the cinema one night, so Liz and I looked after the kids. And the next night, Liz and I went to the football with John and George, so you had Sunny plus your two. So your little list, Freddie's gone to the loo, and Nell's come running in to get me and gone, hey, Liz. One of you needs to wipe his bum. Oh, God. Now, I remembered that he can wipe his bum when he's at daycare, but mm. when he's at home, he chooses for you to do it. Yeah, correct. So I thought, I'll go in there and I'll test him. Yeah. So I, firstly, I'm going in there quite nervous because I don't know what technique you go for okay. when you're wiping someone else's bum. He's not okay, a baby. Yeah, you're not at that stage yet. No, I wasn't sure. So I go in there and I go, listen, do you know how to do this yourself? And he goes, it doesn't say anything. Do you know how to do this? And he just looks at me and goes, I don't feel like doing it today. <laughs> the privilege that this kid has got. Him and the king. The only people that they can wipe their ass, but today they choose not to, so you have to do it, Hayne. Yeah. I was relieved, though, because he knew the technique. Immediately, he bend over double, holds onto my ankles. Oh, yes, holds the ankles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right down, yeah. And then sort of points, you know, his bum at me. And that's when I had to do the wipe. That's when Liz walked in and was like, what is this? What are you doing? <laughs> Luckily, I was next to that. The bath was already sort of... All right, um, you chucked him straight ready. in. Yeah, so I was like, mate, in case I've missed anything, hop on in. <laughs> Everyone else is bathed. Children are pretty yucky, aren't they? I feel like they get yuckier. Yeah, I feel like babies, you can sort of accept the fact they're sort of snotty and yeah. poo and pee. And then toddlers are like yuck aren't they I reckon they probably get worse at teens they get even yuckier you reckon oh I don't know we'll report back on that one so what are we chatting about today Hamish we're clumping a few episodes together here you've come up with a theme a I've come up with a theme. theme yes a three week theme which is alcohol cultures over the next three episodes we're going to look at three major drinking cultures that are very much intertwined one is being an expat. Two is the stresses of work and alcohol and the army. All cultures that mean one thing, heavy boozing. Hamish and I have both lived abroad. One thing we noticed while we were away was no matter the country, expat communities have an odd booze philosophy. Drink as much as you can, as often as possible. It's no shock to find out. Separation from friends and family, loneliness and the need to fit into this new environment might lead to a bit of overdoing it. Expat life disrupts your usual routines, creating a slippery slope that can end in addiction. Unless you're skiing though, Vic. Then a slippery slope might be a bonus. <laughs> See, that is a perfect example of a stitch-up. <laughs> you have written a poor dad joke, poor at best, and then rather than you say it, you've just flicked it over into my colour. Well, I can't I say really... dad jokes. I can write dad jokes, but I can't actually say them. Yeah, so you're it's your job. You're my reputation as a, <laughs> yeah. as a really world-class comedian. There's nothing bad, Hamish, about having dad jokes. They're the best. I, yeah, I know. I, yeah. Come on, get on with it. Okay, it's right. You are right. I see it, then I have to say you are right, yeah. Vic. <laughs> I wrote that too. <laughs> you are attractive, Vic. Thanks. For many expats, moving abroad often means higher pay. Not for me, though. For you? No, never. No, not for us. <laughs> Better opportunities and improved lifestyle. No, 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 no. 
<laughs> Beneath the surface, however, the expat lifestyle can also bring new challenges and problems. For professionals, excessive traveling and increased work demands can lead to depression and homesickness, among other issues. Being an expat usually means being away from familiar comforts of one's own society. Language barriers and culture disparities can lead to difficulties fitting in and adapting. When frustrations combined with the lack of support system, many expats may have difficulty coping with the feelings or problems that result. At times like this, drugs or alcohol may seem like an inviting option to temporarily smooth over the pain. So today we'll tell you about our own experiences of these communities, what leads us to simply join in rather than question it and give you some tips on how to stay sober if you find yourself at a work party in Spain drinking ouzo just because well it's rude not to there it is rude not to there but don't so Vic where have you lived and was it boozy yes everywhere I've lived is boozy yes I feel like everywhere that you can live other than some places in the UAE everywhere's boozy let's face it it's true isn't it Thailand of course if you had money you bought everybody a bottle of whiskey that was what everybody did. Oh, it was like a show, a show of wealth. Yep. Mm. And you shared it with your friends. Of course, I own bars there. My life was based around alcohol. Um, lots of men go to Thailand, obviously, to find some Thai brides. It's all based around bars. Quite a toxic expat environment Hang for on. older men. If it's a status thing to have money and buy people drinks in Thailand, does you owning a bar make you royalty? Well, I didn't feel like royalty. I didn't look like royalty when I was passed out under a table most of the time. They probably thought, gosh, that girl needs help. No, they were helping themselves to free drinks because yeah, the boss like, wasn't oh, watching. Oh, yeah, she's the best barmaid ever. <laughs> I was a TEFL teacher. That is a huge expat community. You work all week and you let your hair down at the weekends. You have to be careful in Thailand because teachers are higher up. If you walk through the centre of town, people will bow down when you pass. Really? lower themselves, lower their heads so that they, when they pass you, they are lower than you. The role of a teacher is really looked up to in Thailand. Well, they look up to you because they're lower down. Like- <laughs> <laughs> because they're bowing. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. I was an Ajan Wick, they called me, which is Teacher Vicky. And yeah, it was really boozy at the weekends, but you couldn't let anyone from the school see you drinking. Yeah. Yes, because that gave you a bad reputation. I reckon all teachers understand that. Yes, fear. yes, probably. All teachers yeah. that go to a pub near yeah, the school yeah. are terrified that someone's going to see miss. you. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in France. My parents were there as well, retired expats. Oh, Hamish, that's mm. a big one. You would be looked at very weirdly, even by a fellow Brit, if you turned down a glass of red. They would pack your bags for you, put you on the Eurostar and send you home to Blighty, I think, if you refused. I lived in America for a short period. Expats met at the sports bars and down shots while watching games. It was kind of a tradition. I did it too because obviously I'm just trying to take on the local rituals. That's just what you do when you go to another country. Oh, you did it out of respect. Yes, I did it out of respect <laughs> of Donald Trump. <laughs> Of course. Um, The entire backpacker community, of course, is based upon alcohol. You carried the party in your rucksack wherever you went. And also I used to visit mates that were doing season in in Val d'Isere and skiing resorts and stuff. I did that. I was only in this community for a short time because I got so ill. I used to say it was the um, altitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, I got so sick last night. It was the altitude. It wasn't the fact that I drank like a litre of, what's that awful glue vine stuff? Well, 
yeah, it's before. like hot wine or something. It was really easy to drink, and it seemed one of those drinks that went down well the first couple, right. and then you were just in a blackout and couldn't remember anything. Yeah. I literally had to check myself into rehab and get a liver transplant every time I went to a ski season. We could do a whole episode on ski season. Oh yes, we should. Definitely. I've never done one. I like you would go visit friends that were doing them. Yeah, who all had like completely menial jobs. They'd be like, oh yeah. I clean people's chalets every now and then. Yeah. Wish you could do hangover and alone. Yeah. And then they swear that mountain air is the best hangover cure. So they just ski or they're hungover all day and they don't ski when they're there to like get fantastic at skiing and yeah. they party all night. Well, it's like me living in Sydney for a year and never seeing the Opera House or the yeah. Harbour Bridge. <laughs> Just a note here, Hamish, I must say, when I wrote my book recently, I saw my life like in black and white laid out before me. And it was very clear that I purposefully plonked myself within expat communities that had big drinking reputations. Mm. I would have never bought a ticket to Saudi Arabia where alcohol was banned, for example. I was searching out the locations, perhaps cleverly hiding an issue within an environment that wouldn't pull me aside or slow me down. Absorbing my habit into a crowd is why it went unchecked for so long. Is that your first teaser of your book? It's written in black and white. It's not multicolored <laughs> letters. Yeah, damn. It's in black and white. <laughs> Go out and get it. I also, you talking about teachers there reminded me about a teacher at our school who I really did not like. He didn't like me. Who got Doesn't banned. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah, well, neither of us are likable guys. <laughs> he got banned from the local pub because he got his cock out on the bar and rolled it like a rolling pin. Brilliant. It was brilliant. Yeah, I yeah. wish I'd seen it. I've seen someone wrap their willy around their wrist like a wristwatch once. Really? Say, what time is it? <laughs> It's pretty impressive. That is pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't know that about John. No. <laughs> Wristwatch, we call him. <laughs> Casio. Casio is his nickname. Casio. <laughs> oh, that's good. Hey, Casio. Casio. Don't ask. Don't ask. Don't ask, kids. <laughs> So our expat lives have actually kind of mirrored each other. So I also started by moving to France. I was there for two years where not only did I have the drinking culture of moving to Paris, which is a boozy place, but I was a student at a clown school where people are sort of getting beat up every day by not being good at comedy. Mm. So drinking is obviously... You got beat up a lot then. I, <laughs> I was actually never never laid a club on me. I was yeah. always confident that I was the funniest person glove. in the room. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was living at Shakespeare and Company, which is somewhere so transient. People come for a short amount of time. Mm. You're living in the pockets of strangers. So you're constantly sort of literally living in the same bedroom. So you've got a drink to get on with each other. You're not doing that much during the day. You volunteer two hours a day, but the rest of the day you're sort of left your own devices. So people drunk. Also just, I think generally living in another country where you don't have a lot of money means you go out seeking the cheapest bottle of wine. And while we can't afford to drink in restaurants and bars, so let's go to the supermarket and sit by the scent. That was sort of the, the, the difference between Australia drinking and Paris drinking was bottles of wine by the Seine, whereas here it's like house parties because the police are so strict in pubs. Yeah, it's true. Because um, you get thrown out here very quickly. Very quickly. English people discover that when they move to Australia backpacking. I used to get thrown out. I'd be like, I'm not even pissed, mate. Weird, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's a weird rule that I never knew until I moved here, that you're basically, you're not allowed to enter a drinking establishment, bar, club, pub, having had a drink. So yeah. there is a bouncer on the door. I've walked in with like people my parents' age and they go, have you had a drink? And you go... Yes, it's nine o'clock. We've mm. had dinner mm. and now we're at the pub. You can't come in. Yeah. What are you talking about? None of us are drunk. Yeah. Very weird rule. Very strict. And you get cut off. It's the cut off, isn't it? Yeah. There's a certain point in the night here in Australia as well where they will not serve shots anymore. I think it's 9 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. quite early. Yeah. So, of course, 
I was a mess, like going up to them, like, what do you mean? There's no shots, like slamming my fist down. <laughs> I got thrown out of a lot of places when I first moved here. But really, I think in France, I might have been more aware of it than I had thought and that I went sober one of the two years that I was there. Okay. And I also, when I left Shakespeare and Company, they say you can have any book in the shop, choose a book. And there's a book which I would recommend to anyone who is in Paris and listening. I don't know how many French listeners we've got. No. We started the podcast in French, yeah. maybe we'll draw them in. Um, there's a book called An Hour from Paris, and the author is Annabelle Sims. And it is locations that you can get to within an hour's train journey from the center of Paris. And she basically guides you through a walk. Mm. You can see this on your left and go down there. There's a cafe there and the history of oh, this. Oh, how nice. And I did them every weekend. And some of my fondest memories of Paris was that, mm. was doing those every weekend. So I think I sort of started pissed in France and by the end I was sober and doing these walks by myself. That's so good though. Like, good that's nice to hear that they were the best memories. Yeah. yeah, that sounds lovely. I would like to do those walks, but here, but listen to the ones in Paris. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Just so I like... go for a walk and pretend I'm in Paris. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you could you do, do that, that, could you? Sure. Or I'll, I get lost. I'll buy you the book and, okay, and you can just you. go through it. Okay, good. The second one, then obviously I moved to Australia. I think I was probably drunk or drinking every day for the first six weeks easily oh, yeah, yeah. easily i slept in 28 different beds in my first six weeks God. i was it wasn't just me rapidly shagging australian <laughs> women it was me just sofa hopping strangers houses disappointing um, and i ended up marrying the person that i did most of that drinking with i've also always felt very dra drawn to hong kong so my brother lived there for seven years it's got a wild expat life and it is Nuts, Hong okay, Kong. Yes. Anyone that's lived there or has visited, if I say the words Lan Kwai Fong, will know what I'm talking about. It is mayhem. And I was always like, that is fun. Is that a street? It is an area. It's got the drinking area. Okay, right. Um, and I think it's sort of, we've talked about this with uni, because housing is so expensive in Hong Kong, you live in a shitbox for a lot of money. Right. So staying in is not really an option. Right. It's actually often cheaper to eat out than to go to supermarkets because they don't obviously produce much in Hong Kong. So you're going out all the time. You don't want to be at home alone. You want to be in restaurants and you want to be drinking because your flat is crap. Yeah. So I think that's sort of fed into it. And then recently I felt very drawn to moving to either Dubai or Saudi. And those are obviously not big drinking cultures. Well, I guess there would be in Dubai. And Dubai, expats. I think there is, yeah. But I don't know if it's I'm drawn to it because of the no drinking or just because I keep hearing about how much money everyone makes there, particularly footballers. I think yes. I might become a footballer. Yeah. I'm 32, might be yeah, a bit late. A bit late yeah. And move to Saudi and then they all get paid like a million pounds a week. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, that's yeah. what we need to do. I'll get into football as well. I could be a get professional football. Yeah, yeah. great. See why not? But yeah, we touched on a few in the intro, but let's nail down the reasons why we drank more in all of these environments, Vic. Possibly because I was a, perhaps an alcoholic. Yeah. That's one reason. It's a good start. <laughs> it's a good start, yeah. isn't it? There is that possibility, Hamish. Yeah. Um, lonely, fitting in, wanting new experiences, shyness, not for me, but I know a lot of shy people that drank to yeah. get out of the comfort zone. Peer pressure. Actually, Haim, these are all the same reasons we drank as teens, yeah. interestingly enough. Life starts at night, seems mysterious and enticing. I remember going to Singapore and Bangkok and that nightlife was very enticing, wasn't yeah. it? The streets would be clear during mm. the day with markets or whatever. And then suddenly buildings would unfold and there'd be bars one after the other down the street. But you still love that about Thailand. Your recent trip was that 
night buzz that we do not get on the Sunshine Coast. Yeah, it, it does come alive. Asian countries, Asian cities come mm-hmm. alive at night for sure. And I did still enjoy that buzz, but I just wasn't a good customer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, come One on. sparkling water, yeah, two hours in the bar. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you're out. <laughs> uh, so I still get barred from places now, even though I'm sober. <laughs> there is an opportunity when you move to an expat environment to create a new identity. Yes. I find this one very interesting. When I first went traveling, I had had that year of massive anxiety mm-hmm. and I bought around the world ticket and I was off and I decided that nobody knew me before nobody knew that I'd had this kind of mental breakdown in my early 20s and I turned into a bit of a hippie while mm-hmm. I was away and I kind of found myself again which was really interesting it didn't slow down the drinking but I definitely morphed into a different person because nobody knew me and that could be the same for somebody who doesn't drink going into that community and wanting to fit in and change and joining up with a group of people that are massive boozers yeah, yeah. I think that is for me that is maybe the biggest reason that people drink when they have become expats yep. you're in a new place often a new job it's a new chapter in your life and you're like right i can be whoever i want to be nobody knows me here and you, you know if i want to be a, a party animal i can be a party yeah. animal if i want to be I'm a bookworm i want to present myself yeah. as like an intellect you, you can do that you yeah. know it's not often you get a blank page where no one knows you and you can create yeah. a whole new person. Yeah, it's exciting, really. It'd be an exciting opportunity for anyone to go into a community where nobody knows you. It's kind yeah. of exciting, isn't it? But most people turn to booze. That's but most people turn to booze, yeah. apart from that, yeah. It'd be exciting if you didn't turn to booze, actually, yeah. wouldn't it? If you did it sober, like you and your walks in Paris. Mm. You and your stupid walks in Paris. <laughs> Me and my loser walks in Paris. <laughs> you walking on your own in Paris down the cobbled the streets. Book, the book was published a few years before I did it, so if you look to your left at that beautiful cafe and it was now, you know, like <laughs> a Woolworth. A phone shop. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> was it written in 1920? Yeah, yeah, it was all ye, ye old. Oh, was yeah. <laughs> Thou shalt walk down this road. Of- <laughs> there are less consequences to your actions when you live far from friends and family, of course. There's no one there to tell you off. Everything is new and exciting. There's places to explore, people to meet, and you're probably still in that holiday mode for the first week or year, perhaps. Yeah, six weeks for me. I think that, that plays into what you said with that, the warmer, longer nights. Yes. Like you're somewhere that's not your home yet. You know, you've moved here and I think it takes weeks to feel like that new place is your home. It can take forever, but you know, you're sort of still in that mindset of like, I'm not in mm. my actual house. It's warm at night here. I don't yeah. know anyone. These, all of these bars I've never been to before, all of these pubs I've never seen before, all these people I need to meet. Yeah. So you're in that mode of like, drinking and socializing god I, I feel it now like even you describing that situation i feel like oh that is you know the, the when you step off the plane to a foreign country and you get that heat wave yeah. over you when you step outside onto the stairs when you go down into the airport you instantly feel that feeling don't you of mm. oh this is going to be great and excitement and no wonder we get drawn in yeah. it's very appealing well i think it's it's kind of like a a narrow line. And we're saying all of those things can be bad and lead to drinking, but all of those things are also the reason that we loved moving abroad. Yeah. Uh, even talking about those now, I'm like, I want to move again. Yeah, like, yeah. All of those feelings Let's are go. fantastic Let's feelings. Go, Hamish. Just piss off. Just you and I. Just piss off to Saudi. Yeah, we'll leave our partners, <laughs> run off together <laughs> into the Arabia hills. Yes. To become footballers. <laughs> There's a film. There's a film in that. There is a film. (laughs) The next one is job pressure, which we're going to go on a bit about in the next episode. But I think we do need to mention it here. Yeah, that one's a biggie. It's often true that expat jobs often provide better pay, not for us, yet they also tend to demand longer hours with higher pressure environments. Those who move abroad for work will need to adapt to a lot of cultural adjustments, as well as heavy workloads, 
new colleagues and high expectations. So what about cultural influences? There's another thing. How did they affect you, Hamish? Because there are lots of different rules in other countries. My experience, it was it exactly the same problems, just in different settings. Yeah, so okay. like I said, in the UK, we drink in pubs. In France, it was cheap bottles of wine by the river. In Australia, it is house parties was my experiences of it. Um, at drama school, it was everyone stressed and having a tough time and being vulnerable. So we drink to get through it. Yeah. You know, it's basically the the overarching issue is the same everywhere I've lived. Yep. It just looks different. Yeah. Interesting. What was your experience? I with? think for me, it was the markets in France saying no was like offending the country. Okay. Yeah. 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 It was like, I cannot say no to alcohol because that is what we do in France. And in fact, I drank in the mornings there because I was next to the wine guy yeah. and I couldn't say no to his wine that he'd produced himself. Because it was rude. I would now, yeah. but it felt rude. I imagine it's the same for anyone working abroad, such as teachers drinking sake in Japan or office workers having a Singapore sling. It's a mixture of fitting in and maybe finding excuses to drink. It's interesting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's a, such a massive combination of factors here that are forcing you to be pouring alcohol down your throat. To look at Singapore specifically for a moment, and I'm sure the countries next to it might be similar. In addition to the high workload, there's also a cultural expectation to drink at business and client meetings. This practice can blur the line between business and pleasure, potentially leading expats to drink more than they'd planned. So my best mate lives in Singapore, right? He's been there for seven or eight years, yeah. his sonny's godfather. And his experience of it is it's very hard to do anything there that is not eating and drinking. Okay. So it's so hot. You know, there's no yeah. outside activities. You're not fishing or going for a walk. He does a bit of running in the mornings, a bit of cycling if it's very early. But basically, you've got to be inside. Right. And eating and drinking or shopping is what you do inside. Yeah. So, you know, he's been there for seven years and he's kind of like, what do I do now? Done my share of eating and drinking. Yeah. What, you know, he kind of feels like he has to move in order to experience anything else. And I think it's very difficult to go sober in a place like that. I just wanted to add here, I did a post on Instagram about an expat state of mind saying, look, has anyone ever lived in an expat community and what was it like? And we got loads of comments. It was a really popular post. Mocktailologist Kat says, I briefly lived in Berlin where club nights went on from Friday night straight through to Sunday afternoon. We had one from, uh, I think it's called Sint. Sinta, a city? I was an expat in Mongolia. You wouldn't wow. expect that to have no. a big drinking culture. She was, it was extremely booze-filled. Vodka was so cheap and they kept serving until you stopped spending. Gosh, yeah, So not getting, it's not Australia, you're not getting kicked out and you're pissed. No. Um, James says we are expat. We lived in China for the past four years. We definitely had a problem with drinking while living there. It was the easiest way to make friends and hang out with other expats at the local foreign bar. Uh, here is one from Maxine Billing-Smith. I lived in Malaysia and then Bahrain, where both places pretty much enabled my binge drinking further. I think the expat lifestyle is built around boozy brunches, and then there's the sunshine all year round and luxurious hotels that we'd frequent most weekends, plus the tax-free salary helped fund it all. Coming back to the UK, I realised how much heavier my drinking had become in comparison to UK drinking standards, and I did pull it back somewhat till I became a mum and mummy wine time kicked in. Mm, yeah, so it leads to more drinking at home, perhaps. 
maps. Um, Mike says, I'm an American, moved to Prague 27 years ago. I thought it was heaven because of the high quality and very low cost beer. He said it's the booziest country in the world. Finally, Ricardo0206. He says, from the UK and still here in Melbourne after nearly nine years, realised the boozing had stopped me experiencing all the things that I loved about Australia when I first moved here. So I decided to pack it in. Yeah, thanks everybody for those comments because like it's so interesting to hear about the countries we've never visited as well it's the same situation everywhere isn't it honestly other than like saudi is there a country without bahrain mongolia yeah even in india you're not really out to drink but we used to drink from teacups and have a a a teapot we'd have beer in a teapot and sit with china cups whacking china cups of beer down our neck yeah and we went to a coconut bar once where they'd fermented the coconut nuts to make them into alcohol and had to sit secretly in tiny little rooms really drink out of coconuts yeah it was weird so when we look back at that cultural experiences in expat communities you are usually around people from your own country actually or one that speaks the same language so conforming to cultural expectations isn't really necessary I think part of both our problems, Hamish, was that we always decided to live in places that felt like a holiday, which I guess is why we both live in Australia. It was always my life plan and it still is, but just without the booze now. I guess what we're getting at there is also when you move somewhere that's not home, whether or not you want to or not, you probably feel an element of homesickness and that idea of connecting with other people from that place that you're from. Correct. And drinking and talking about the English films or TV or yeah. culture or sports. There's a lot of sports bar stories makes you feel like you're at home again. Absolutely. And that's what we do. We, we connect through drink and we can reminisce about home and we don't feel so alone and so mm. far away. So I guess that sort of feeds into people drinking a lot more when they move away. It's like a, a connection level that we don't really realise we need until we meet someone English, for example, yeah. for us. When I met John, when I met my husband, one of the first things that I was really excited about was that we'd been to university together when we were 18. Mm. Even though we hadn't seen each other for 17 years, just that inkling of connection and we were both in Sydney at the time was enough to make me go, oh, I want to spend more time with that person just because it's easier. Yeah, and we're looking for an easier lifestyle when we go to a different country, I think. (laughs) So with laid back alcohol regulation policies and cheap prices compared to the West, Thailand and lots of other Asian countries seem like the perfect getaway, especially for a binge drinker. But when expats find themselves living permanently in places which are traditionally thought of as holiday destinations, they tend to embrace the laid back culture, which can lead to a habitual excess drinking. Yeah, and I guess you start as you mean to go on. You then have not only created friendships that just revolve around booze, but it becomes the only thing you have in common with everyone. When friendships grow in such a way, they become defined by drinking, which of course then it becomes more and more difficult to notice addictive behavior in oneself. If everyone in a social group is doing the same thing, then how are you expect to know you have a problem, Haim? It seems hard to imagine being in one of these communities without being drowned in booze. It's an environment where I think we both agree made us sick, tired and full of shame and probably unable to do the job properly that we'd moved there for in the first place. No, we did not get poached by some no, kind no. of... <laughs> Headhunters. She's amazing. Top of the advertising agency. She'll be fantastic for the Australian industry. Get her in. <laughs> You also talked earlier about professionals and like, we are not professionals. Bring her to Australia. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. Make her a citizen. We need her. <laughs> 
Oh, dear. Drinking is so counterproductive, isn't it, at times? It sure is. In Dubai, for example, there is this expat culture of champagne lunches. Right. It's very fueled by alcohol there, which I didn't actually know. Okay. People showing off how much they earn. That I did see when I was in Dubai. Yes. Yeah. I told you about the vending machine that only sold Moet. Oh, my God. Oh, That's out of control. It's mental. Uh, sharing images of fast cars, expensive bottles on Instagram. It's at work and after, which can lead to burnout and mental health wobbles, obviously. Research shows that expats living in Dubai are 40% more likely to experience mental illness than the average local. Is that true? That is true. That is 40%. That is crazy. Research shows that expats living in Dubai are 40% more likely to experience mental illness. Mm. That is a crazy stat. I think we need to look at, at some point, Hamish, the stats on alcohol in general, the percentage of people that drink alcohol and their mental health issues. It must be difficult to determine that because, yeah. you know, they're probably drinking for a reason. So be, the, the yeah. numbers surely won't be accurate. Mm. You go, you're, you are drinking, you've got mental health issues, but they might be drinking because of child trauma so they have mental health issues or drinking because of an abusive relationship. Yeah. It must be hard to actually get it accurate. Yeah. I bet it's high though. I bet it's high. If we we could find out, I bet you it's very, very high. We'll just make it up. We'll We'll make make it up and pass it off. It's high. It's high. It's at least 75%. (laughs) I was going to write here, I'm so glad we don't live in an expat community now, Hamish. But actually, we both still do. We are legal aliens, Englishmen in Australia, yet we are not soaking in booze. So how do we do it alcohol free? Enlighten me. <laughs> Enlighten me. <laughs> sounds, sounds like shine a torch on me. Yeah, sh- no, just light me up. <laughs> if you could pass me that torch and shine it. That's shine it on my jiggly bits. Yeah, don't shine it on my jiggly bits. Thank you very much. When you're in the thick of an expat culture, you wonder what the rest of the world is up to. I thought, what the bloody hell would you do if you were here and you didn't go out every night and get absolutely wasted? It was a huge surprise to me to find out that the world, Hamish, ticks by outside of alcohol. No. <laughs> it does. And I actually can I know it sounds yeah. ridiculous, but that was a revelation for me. Mm. I didn't realise the world went on. I always remember reading a book about the Beatles, a brilliant biography. I can't remember who it was by. It's one of the Beatles and one of the phrases in it, I'll have to look it up, but I think it was the beat goes on, the beat goes on after they'd split up. Mm-hmm. And they didn't realise that the world would all continue functioning after the Beatles had split up. Yeah. And that was it. The beat went on for me after I got sober, which was incredible revelation. Comparing yourself to the Beatles, are we? Yeah, kind of I'm more the Lennon, yeah. you're the you're Ringo. <laughs> I'm Ringo for sure. <laughs> It was a huge surprise to find out that the world ticks on outside of alcohol and there are loads of people that are not at the party with you. This will be the same everywhere in the world. Yeah. I heard someone ask Vic once what she did when she doesn't drink and her answer was everything else. And I think that fits well here. There is the option not to drink. Who knew? Who knew? Exactly. So how do you survive living abroad without becoming an alcoholic? What tips can we share with you? Here are a few that we've thought of. Okay. Take some time to learn the language. Very easy if you move to Australia. Very easy if you move to Australia. Mate. I did it in Thailand. I learned Thai when I was there. I'm a conversational Thai. It was one of the best things I ever did. I love and I speak some French and Hamish speaks fluent French. Learning a language takes up time. (laughs) A lot of time, doesn't it? That's it. Just just a good time waster. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. just do it while you're there. (laughs) Try and find local friends. Try and embed yourself in. It always helps. People that live in the country who aren't expats are less likely to have the drinking culture that expats have. Totally. Ask about the differences in customs with that person. 
person. So you can make sure you don't offend anyone pretty much. Keep working on your career path. That's the reason you've moved abroad, probably. So yeah, focus on that. Make sure you put aside money to go home every now and again. That is a really good tip. Again, something that we've never done. I never, ever went home. I was just like, I'm off. I'm out of here. I'm never coming back. But it probably would have been a good idea for me to save some money at some point instead of spending it all on alcohol. But I never managed to do that. Should we set up a bank account that's just go home fund? Yeah. That'd be fantastic. We'd have so much money if we did that. Yeah, we would. Own your differences, except that you will never fully fit in in another country. That's so true. You're likely to always have an accent, no matter how fluent you become. You may look different from the locals and that's okay. It's part of who you are and that's what makes you special in that environment. Also, assimilate. Celebrate your adopted country's holidays too. Learn local customs and participate in them. Good use of the word assimilate. Thank you very much. Do you Google it? Yep. Okay. (laughs) Get out and about. There are more to these places than the bars. And be proud about your sobriety and show others that you can survive being an expat without booze. If you do it, others may follow. Yeah, I guess the key with that is to try and find or encourage new ways of socialising that are not booze-based. Yeah, and going out and Cafes, walks, runs, exercise classes, whatever. As we say, life goes on outside of those pubs and bars. And it is incredible to find what else is going on in these cities all over the world. It sure is a boozy world, hey, Hamish. But all of the above are ways you can thrive when living abroad. And we assure you, diving headfirst into a culture rather than just visiting its drinking establishments will leave you with a warmth in your leaky loins. Not even the strongest tequila could match that. The joy that you get from saying leaky loins. <laughs> I don't know why I don't know why I put that. Oh, I think I was referring to the leek, the root vegetable, because you know I always like to get a root vegetable in the podcast. <laughs> oh, that what it, was? it was a leek, yes. Yeah, so I thought, why am I gonna get a leek in here? I was just thinking maybe that if you drink too much every now and then you don't quite time your peas right. Too much information. Too much <laughs> Cassio's always going on about it. Cassio, but Cassio. <laughs> So just because you're a no-show at the X-Pac bar, the work function, the strip club, or the sundowners at Captain Coconut's Cocktail Club does not mean that you are weird. It just means that you're cool. You don't need to drink to fit in and you'd rather feel productive the next day, not put yourself in danger or in a blackout and actually enjoy the country you are visiting or living in. I enjoyed coming up with Captain Coconut's Cocktail Club as well. (laughs) So indulge in all the country has to offer. This is your home now, not a holiday. And if you decide to move on, do so with pride, knowing you saw, smelt, felt, ate and did everything, that you indulged in nearly everything the country had to offer. And instead of heading back through immigration with a drink problem, a few injuries, a venereal disease and an empty bank account and the story of you performing a humiliating crutch grind at a religion, ceremony come home with memories it's much safer you said you you did everything you smelt every country Mm. what's the best smelling country you've been to oh the thing is i would say thailand but obviously there's there's really bad ones and really good ones there so it kind of levels out that's true yeah yeah. i think the french markets have a nice smell to them yeah yeah Yeah, france think wins it for me Mm. going through the sunflower oh beautiful yeah well the sunflower smell yeah they do they do have a smell yeah they look like they should yeah anyway um, a humiliating crutch grind was my other question at a religious ceremony. Yeah, so, it happened once. More info, please. I was just drunk and I'd walked past some sort of ceremony going on with some mates and I was sort of grinding against something. I don't really... I was What's in, a crutch grind? It's though? like when you go like, I'm doing it now. Oh, okay, okay. So it's, <laughs> it's like, like a... You kind um, of, 
What's that word? It's like you hu- like pretend to hump something. Yeah, but there's a cooler word for that. Oh, like twerking. Twerking. Yes, yeah. Okay, you twerk well, someone, I wasn't twerking, at, twerking no. someone at a religious ceremony. Yeah, no, I don't really remember, but my friend told me I'd done it in the next day. <laughs> you see news stories about people getting arrested in Bali for things like that, yeah. like taking nude photos in uh, religious stumpers or what they're called. <laughs> Stumper? Stumper? Yeah, it's in Nepal. Is that a word? <laughs> Any other inappropriate cultural errors you've made and want to share with us? Well, once I patted a policeman on the head in Thailand, which was really oh, bad. No. Were they shorter than you? No, they weren't. Like, because that's bad. He was taller than me. No, I was stepping over him, which you're not also supposed to do in Thailand. You're not supposed to step over someone. <laughs> he wasn't shorter than you, but you stepped over him. No, he was like, sitting on the floor and I, tapped, okay. and I patted him on the head as I went by. I nearly got arrested. <gasps> I also once hung my washing on some prayer flags. Right. I actually pinned my washing out on mm. some religious prayer flags, which I got in trouble. And once I flipped a coin as a to make a bet with someone, yeah. it had the king's head on it. And right. I got very, very told off. Yeah. I don't think I would know what prayer flags look like in your defense. Well, on I that didn't one. know. I no. didn't know at I the know time. I know now. <laughs> Have you ever had any weird, inappropriate cultural run-ins, Hamish? I'm maybe too vocal about my support of England cricket and football in Australia. We obviously do not like England cricket team here. And I'm very vocal about the fact oh, I yes, do not like the Australian cricket team here. So that's one. Um, I didn't laugh when a woman at a car rental place in Cairns said, you're home when I checked in because my surname is Adams Cairns. Oh, right. Um, I'm also, I feel like I'm worse in England than I am in Australia because I don't like tea. Oh, yes. Okay. That is offensive. So, yeah, it's kind of like, I, if I get offered it by someone I don't know, I, I kind of have to say yes and chew it down. But yeah. I hate it. I feel like... Like I'm, I'm a disappointment to England in that way. You are you, you, more than that. In every way. You are generally a disappointment to England. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Um, right, let's end on a quote. Yep. If I'm an advocate for anything, it's to move as far as you can, as much as you can, across the ocean or simply across the river. Walk in someone else's shoes or at least eat their food. It's a plus for everybody. That's Anthony Bourdain. There's a brilliant book he wrote called Kitchen Confidential. Highly recommend reading it. I read that quote a week ago and I've been thinking about it for a week. It's a great quote. I love it. I love it too. It does make me think, move. Yeah, it move. does. Move. Come on, Hamish, Keep move. Keep moving. You're too pro me moving. Yeah, get out. <laughs> Fuck off. Okay, the other one is Marilyn the Gardener. She says, our homes are not defined by geography or one particular location, but my memories, events, people, and places that span the globe. I think what all we're saying in this podcast, I know we like to end on a nice note, is if you are doing this, do it sober. Because sober is living your life to its maximum potential and enjoying everything rather than numbing it out. And you've got a great experience to live in another country, a great opportunity. So do it to the max and enjoy it rather than just being pissed the whole time. I want to add a new tradition to the podcast. Oh, great. So what I want to do, we're going to still finish with a quote or disappointing affirmation. Mm. But then we get the most wonderful emails from our listeners or reviews on the podcast. And I feel like we read them, we get a kick out of them, we reply to them, but we don't share them. And I feel like people hearing stories that aren't our stories, which you know through and through by now, could inspire others. So I want to read an email or review every week. Okay, great. You You could have run this by me first. You can read half of them. I don't want to read every single one. You should have run this by me first, Hamish. We're going to have a falling out. Yeah. 
God, you need to run these things by me. <laughs> okay, so this one, some will read anonymously, some we won't. This one is from a listener in Colorado. She says, Hi, Vic, Hamish, and Lucy too. You are my morning walking partners. When you make me laugh and double over, somehow people clear the path as if I'm drunk. Lo and behold, I'm sober awkward too. Six months today. Love your podcast, topics, humor, and honesty. Thank you for all you do, keeping us laughing, thinking, not asking Vic to go camping, and most of all, keeping us sober. I appreciate you. Oh, how lovely. Oh, that was sweet. I have, a lot of people say that they listen to us when walking. Yeah, and, and get then funny they looks. look weird because yeah. they're laughing by themselves. Yeah. People walking on the beach and people dragging their dogs away from them. Yeah. <laughs> look forward to part two next week, which is all going to be about, what is it, Amish? It's about jobs. About jobs. Yes. Alcohol in the workplace. Another boozy culture. Cheers, guys. If you're questioning your relationship with booze, you're struggling to moderate, or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for some support. Yeah, just talk to a mate about how you're feeling, contact a local doctor, find an AA or sobriety group. Fix got one. Yeah, just head to www.cupper.community. Remember, if you're questioning yourself, it might be time to seek support. Even though this journey can be awkward, it is definitely worth it. And if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to review it, rate it, and share it with your mates. They have to share it with their mates? Yeah, of course they do. I'm not doing this for nothing, Amish. Bloody hell. How do they share it? I don't know. Just write it on Hi there. I wanted to tell you about a podcast that I think every single one of you will benefit from. It's called Therapy Works and it's hosted by me, Julia Samuel. I'm a best-selling author and psychotherapist. I invite you into my therapy room where I speak to either a known or unknown guest. Topics range from the difficulties of divorce, a life-changing illness, to the struggles of motherhood. Search Therapy Works now wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So, as you probably know, my comedy memoir, A Thousand Wasted Sundays, is officially out. All my magnificent fuck-uppery in one awkward hit. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy, it's now available from all good bookstores. We always say all good bookstores, don't we? Yeah. Are, there, are there bad bookstores? No, it's probably ones with moody, moody sellers. Oh, yeah, really yeah. depressed librarian folks. Yes, yes, okay, yes, good, yes. Good. So there are probably some, but we're only storing it in the good ones. It's only made it into the goodies. <laughs> you can also get it from all good online retailers. The print version and ebook are out now, and the audio book will be available in March. I've been writing my memoir for five years. It will make you laugh, cry and cringe and hopefully inspire a few people to reconsider their relationship with booze. If you love the podcast, then I think you'll love the book. Even if I do say so myself. Hamish has read it. What did you think? I feel like I know a little bit too much about you now, to be honest, Vic. Look, I really loved it. It was hilarious and surprisingly moving, but I feel like I've seen you naked in a literary sense. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, that's worrying. Yeah. Yeah. From an emotional point of view, seriously, it wobbled my teeny weeny wooden heart, Vic. Okay. (laughs) My teeny little wooden heart. His his wooden heart is broken. Anyway, so if you do manage to get your filthy mitts on a copy, please do me a favour and head to goodreads.com and give me a review. Doing that will help me get it out there to those that need a bit of sober support. So there you have it. My story, unwanted warts and all. Come and get awkward with me. Not to be too demanding or anything, but seriously, go and buy it Yeah, now. go and buy it. Go and buy it right now. Yeah, don't just tell your friends. Buy it and then buy your friends one or two. Yeah, yeah, don't give them a copy. Yeah. Buy it, yeah. And you know what? Don't be careful where you store it. If you lose it, you can always buy another yeah, five. Yeah, buy another one. Yeah. <laughs> 